Well, good morning for those who uh, don't know me. I'm Chris Richards. I'm one of the pastors here at Windsor Community Church. And in the last couple of weeks, we've taken a break from Genesis. We're back into Genesis. So for those of you who have been with us for quite a while, you know that we, we teach expositionally right through a book, and we're in the book of Genesis right now, and we're going to be in chapter 4. As you find that, you'll know that uh, last week, Pastor Willie came and, and spoke. And Pastor Willie is from the Crossway Chapel of Greeley, and, and it's our hope that not only did you get really blessed by that message out of James, but that you saw this connection, that you're part of a kind of a bigger picture, that Crossway Chapel is, is a, a number of different churches, it's a network of churches, and as we, as we shuffle pastors around a little bit to speak in the different bodies, that the bodies will get a feel for being part of something that's a little bigger. Well, Genesis chapter 4, and we're going to... And to stay in the tradition of Paul. You know, Paul, in, uh, when he's writing to Timothy in, in chapter 4, he says, you know, devote yourself. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. And so each Sunday when we come here, we read a very large section. Even if we're not going to go through the whole thing, we're devoting ourselves to the reading of Scripture. The, the words that you hear uh, are hopefully from the Holy Spirit, but this is what changes lives. God's Word is what changes lives, as it affects as it affects you, as the Holy Spirit manifests change in your life, it comes from here. And so the public reading of Scripture, devote yourself to it. So we're going to do that. Chapter 4. You see this is the story of Cain and Abel. Starting at verse 1. And I'm only going to read to verse 24 uh, because there's kind of a break there. And uh, so we're going to stop there at verse 24. Now Adam knew his wife, verse 1, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man. With the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep. And Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of of his flocks and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, 
Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be put on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech had two wives. The name of the one is Ida, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ida bore Jabal. He is the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all the instruments made of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nema. Lamech said to his wives, Ida and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Those were hard names. Wow. I cheated and listened to it online so I could try and figure out how to say those names. Well, let's get the narrative here. What we see is in the, in the beginning of chapter 4, back in, in 1, chapter 1, verse 28, God tells Adam and Eve, hey, go be fruitful and multiply. And he blesses them and he sends them out. We see them here being obedient to that call. We see them being fruitful and multiplying. And here comes Cain and here comes Abel. But it's more than that. It's more than that. Because we also see in Genesis 3 where God promised Eve. He said, you know what? From your seed... There will be one that comes and crushes the serpent's head. And so when we see that that Eve names him Cain, Cain kind of has the same Hebrew sound as the word gotten. And she says, I have brought forth a man. A man. Not a boy. Not a child. A man. And never again in scripture is a man ever used for a boy, for for a child. And so we have some some implications here that possibly Eve thought that this was the seed. This was the one that was going to redeem them that God said was going to come and crush the serpent's head. And so there's there's a bit of elation here that goes beyond just, oh, I had the first child in mankind. More than that. She thought that this might be the redeemer, the one that's going to put everything back together. But uh, she was um, very wrong. Right? Cain actually is not just not the redeemer, but he turns out to be a murderer and goes down in history as being known as the father of false teachers. Not just not the redeemer. This guy, if you look over here, there's this weed that skirts out the right side of the tree. And it really is just a weed. It's not very long, but the weed has... Cain's family line there. It's pretty much the evildoers before the flood. You see Cain's line sneaking out there like a dandelion in your yard. Then it says, she bore Abel. 
The word able means breath or vanity. The whole name just has this connotation of, of shortness. It's just here and then it's, it's gone. And, and how appropriate that is when we see later on what, what happened to him. By the time we get to verse 3, we see that we see Cain is a farmer. That's honest. He's out working hard and, and Abel's a rancher and he thought, you know what, I kind of don't like getting my hands dirty, so I'm going to... Oh, wait, he's still getting his hands dirty. He's going to play with sheep. And so he becomes a herdsman and he brings all the livestock and, and he spends his time doing this. And, and both of these are... It's both honest work. So if you were to put these two next to each other, you're not sure that, you know, you don't see much difference between the two. They're both working. They're both... There's no real indication that there's going to be this serious problem coming out. But even if there is, even if you put them next to each other and you say, you know what, I kind of don't like your disposition. Abel's just so much nicer of a kid. He's just so much easier going. That Cain, he's always out doing things. Well, maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. But you don't see that here. What you see is they're hardworking folks. But when you get to verses 4 and 5, it starts off like this. In the course of time. And we're going to camp here for a minute. In the course of time literally means at the end of days. This is where we see the sacrifice or the offering coming forth. Now, when you see it written in the course of time, you don't quite get the picture of what's going on. But when you see it as at the end of days, meaning an amount of time that was marked out, at the end of that, they brought their offering. Which means there's something expected of them here. At the end of some time, maybe they called it catechism, I don't know. But at a certain end of time, they were to bring their offering. And so they did. Cain gathered up some fruit from the ground and he brought it over to the altar. Abel went out to his flock and he chose the best year, the best lamb from its firstborn. And he sacrificed and he brought the fat portions. He brought the sacrifice. He brought it to the altar. Both of them brought their things. And it says that God accepted Abel's sacrifice and Abel. But Cain, he didn't accept. And he didn't accept his sacrifice. Well, how did they know whether he accepted it or not? They're sitting here on the altars and there are five other times that I found in scripture where fire came out of heaven and burnt up the offerings. It's very possible that's how we did it. They have their, they have their uh, altar sitting there and one has some asparagus and some, well I'm sure it was, uh, what are those green, th- zucchini, right? When you do gardens, everybody has to grow 3,000 zucchini. So I'm sure there was a bunch of zucchini piled up there. And then over here you have the choicest firstborn lamb, the fat portions. And they step back. And God took this one. Cain is still standing over here. Just waiting. He took his. Now he must be done eating that one by now. And I'm waiting. He's just waiting for him to wash this down with his vegetables. And, and nothing happens. It's kind of like on Mount Carmel. We see in 1 Kings where Elijah's standing there with the false, the, the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Baal have the bull up there and they're chanting and they're screaming for their God, waiting for their God to come and answer and accept their sacrifice.
gets dark. Nothing's happening. Nothing happens. Their God doesn't answer anything. And then Elijah steps up there and he says, pour on some water. (laughs) I need enough. Pour on some more water. Because when my God accepts his sacrifice, that water just isn't going to matter. He has faith. He knows it. And he steps back and God... And the prophets of Baal are sitting there with just egg on their face. They're just embarrassed. What happened? Well, that's kind of what we see right here. We see Abel just, wow, thank you, God. God accepted him. God accepted his sacrifice. Cain, on the other hand, says his face fell. Just, what? Why? And what happened? We kind of read through this and... And you, you ever ask yourself, well, what? They're both hardworking folks. They both brought stuff to God. God accepted one, but he didn't accept the other. Why? And this is a blessing here because God doesn't leave us in Genesis 4 here. God drags Cain and Abel all the way through the scripture. All the way to the second to the last book. In fact, it could be argued that Abel shows up in Revelation even. And so Cain and Abel are just this whole idea of of their sacrifice and their external religion versus inward change. All of this is just brought all the way through the scripture for us to get a clear picture of what happened. First, there are three things that we have to kind of make sure we're all on the same page on. One, we, we just have to understand the setting, the context. Cain and Abel were not in the Garden of Eden. They have not walked in the cool of the day like Adam and Eve did with God. Cain and Abel have to live on on being preached to. Adam and Eve told them what was going on. God, through the Holy Spirit, maybe told them some things, but they had to trust God at his word. They never actually saw him. Okay? That's the first thing we have to realize. They are outside the Garden of Eden, wandering around. Number two, if God expected, when it says the end of days... If God expected them to bring a certain sacrifice and held them accountable for it, then we know that God told them what to do. Somehow God made it perfectly clear to both Cain and Abel that at the end of days you're to bring this. And God holds them accountable for that. And so it's the second thing we need to realize is God is not capricious. He doesn't just kind of sit back and go, hmm, wonder if they'll figure it out. <laughs> oh, he blew it. Couldn't think through that one, could he? That's not God. God is not capricious. God just doesn't, you know, f- just do stuff randomly. He has a very succinct purpose. And all the way through the scripture, we see that God has a very succinct purpose. His sovereignty and his, his calling of man back to himself, he told Cain and Abel, what to bring. Okay? That's the second thing we need to know. The third thing we need to know is Cain and Abel, like you and I, are separated from God by sin. We've got to let this, thing, this one sink in. It's not something special because they're the first two brothers on the planet. Cain and Abel are separated eternally from God because of sin. There is only one way back to God, and that is atonement. Those sins need to be paid for. And we see in Hebrews that, in Hebrews 9, 22, without 
the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. God did not change the plan from the time Adam and Eve sinned and he made clothes for them out of hair. He made the sacrifice for them. God has not changed the plan from Adam and Eve all the way to us today. There is one way to be saved. Our sin must be atoned for. Cain and Abel knew that. So, God tells them, bring this sacrifice. Your sins must be atoned for. What do we see Abel doing? It says in Hebrews 11.4. Oh, wait, let me read this part. Because this is an interesting piece as we track this through scripture. With Abel, at the time of Abel, we have one lamb for one person. God said, bring a lamb, sacrifice it, offer that. That's atoning for your sin. We get to Passover. God tells each family, get one lamb and do this per family. One lamb per family. Take the blood, put it on your door frames. One lamb per family. We move to the Day of Atonement a little further on in history. The Day of Atonement now we have one lamb for a nation. One lamb for a person, one lamb for a family, one lamb for a nation. And then we get to the cross. And we have one lamb, Jesus Christ, for the world. God has not changed his plan from the time of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, to us today. There is one way to be reconciled to God. And that one way is by putting our faith in Christ and knowing that his blood atoned for our sin. His sacrifice, we trust in that. That is what reconciles us to God. Nothing else. You can't bring vegetables. You can't just make something up and say, I don't have a lamb. Sorry. Ain't got that. What I got is some zucchini. I'm going to bring zucchini because that's the way I think I want to do it. You can't do that. You can't do that. God has a, a set way that he has you doing things. Hebrews 11.4 By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. All right, let's watch how this works. Abel believed God at his word. God said, you are separated from me. Sin has separated you from me. There is one way that you need to be reconciled. Your sin needs to be atoned for. Bring me this sacrifice and that will temporarily atone for your sin. Do it this way. And Abel said, okay, I believe that. I believe God. That belief is what we call faith. Your alignment with the will of God is faith. By that faith, it was accredited to him or it was commended to him as righteous. Righteous means I am in right standing with God. How is it you spend eternity with God? You spend eternity with God because you are in right standing with him. There is only one way to be in right standing with God. And that is if it is commended to you as righteousness because of your faith 
And faith is meaning your mind, you believe God. You trust in what He's given to you to reconcile you back to Him. And you can't do it your own way. You can't make it up. Well, what did this faith do? Abel has this faith. And just like James tells us in James chapter 2, faith produces action. What good is it if you have faith and no works? Implication? None. Your faith is dead. If you say, hmm, my mind is aligned with God, but yet you do nothing that God would have you do, God says, bring this sacrifice, don't bring zucchini, and you say, well, I don't want to do that. I want to bring zucchini. I want to have it my way. Then your mind is not aligned with God. Therefore, you may say you have faith, you may say you believe in God, but your actions show otherwise. Abel's faith manifested itself in bringing the correct sacrifice. And therefore, Abel, Abel was accepted and his sacrifice was accepted. Cain is a bit of a different story. Cain didn't know anything less than Abel did. It's not that God decided to educate Abel and tell him the secret way. The secret way back to God. Only a couple of us know it. And just leave Cain over there, whatever. That's not what happened. Education here isn't the problem. It's not our inability or deficiency in understanding that causes the problem. It's our deficiency in obedience. Understanding what to bring was not the problem. It's obeying God and believing God at his word that was the problem. So Cain's lack of faith, his lack of alignment in believing God, also produced action. We see in James 2 that piece that without works, your faith is dead. But we can see it the other way also. Your works also show that your faith is dead. You see that? When he decided to bring zucchini, what he just manifests is, you know what? I, I heard what God said. He told me. But I don't really believe that I'm separated from him. I don't really believe that eternal destruction and eternal separation is, is waiting for me. I just don't believe that. I don't believe that I have to do it his way in order to be reconciled to God. I just don't believe that. And his works, his actions manifest from that lack of faith. In Isaiah 29, we see God saying, you know what? They honor me. And in Matthew, Jesus quoted this also. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Because you can see this, right? You see this big basket of fruit up on Cain's head and he's walking over to his altar and oh, he puts it down and he's going to go through all the motions. Every, he may have even built the little altar that he's going to put his stuff on. Today is the end of days. It's time to bring our sacrifice. And I've chosen this for my sacrifice. And he has on his nice robe and or lamb skin or whatever he's wearing. And he stands in front of the altar and he slices up the zucchini and he puts it up on the altar. He's going through all the different external pieces of worship. Kind of like, oh, it's Sunday. I, I got to go to church. And so I get all spiffied up. 
and I shave and, and, and if you're lucky, I shower and, and I, and I come in and, and they're up here playing that music. And oh, I just love the music because it just charges me up and, and I listen to it on the radio too. And, and so I come in here and, and I just enjoy the music and, and then I sit down and oh, there he's teaching a little, talking a long time. It's really time for me to go get some coffee or something. I'm just done with this. But when I'm all done, I go home and by golly, I went to church. I performed all the external duties of what worship looks like. But in the end, was I accepted? Do my lips honor God, but my heart is far from Him? That's Cain. Verse 6 tells us that Cain was rejected. And what happened? He got angry. Oh, he got really angry. And God came to him and he said, Why? If you do the right thing, you'll be accepted. If you do the right thing, I told you what to bring. I told you how to atone for, for your sin. I told you what this looks like. I told you how to be reconciled to me. I've created you for that. I've created you to enjoy my eternal love and fellowship that I have with God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I've created you to just be part of this eternal bliss. I've told you how to be part of that. If you do the right thing, you'll be lifted up. But if you don't, sin is waiting at the door and its desire is to have you. You have to master it. Cain and David kind of ran into the same thing. God sent Nathan to David and said, David, you've sinned. Repent. Now, what if David went the other way? David, we see in, we see in Acts and we see, where's the other place? In 1 Samuel somewhere. 1 Samuel 13. Where David is called a man after God's own heart. What a title. What a title. But we don't see David as this perfect sinless being. David sinned. God sent Nathan. Nathan told David, you have sinned. You have stepped outside the bounds of God. How is he going to respond? Does he get angry and his face fall? No, it says something different. It says David was broken. And we see in Psalm 51... That he just is crushed by his sin and he's begging God for mercy. What do you see from Cain? (laughs) You don't see brokenness. Not at all. He got caught and his, his sacrifice wasn't accepted. He got rejected by God. He got booted out of the presence of God. Cursed for all time to be a wanderer and a fugitive in the land. And he says... My punishment's just too much for me to bear. You hear the difference between, oh God, only against you have I sinned. Please, please remove my transgressions from me. And (laughs) my punishment's more than I can bear. You see the difference? See the difference? That's Cain. He's going to be the master of his own soul. He is going to do it. His way. 
and he's going to be rejected because of it. We see this in Jude one eleven. Jude one eleven is one of those key verses in the New Testament that not Jude, just Jude eleven. One of the key verses in the New Testament that point what happened to Cain. It says this: "Woe to them!" Now, what's Jude about? The theme of Jude is fight for the faith, right? And so we have these false teachers, and Jude reenacts the. The fervency of Christ when Christ is blasting the Pharisees and he says, woe to you. And Jude starts off the same way. He says, woe to them. And he follows it with this. For they walk in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain. The false teachers decided to be like Cain. Instead of doing it the way God has ordained this reconciliation to occur... These false teachers said, you know what, I got a little bit better way. I don't like doing it that way. I'm going to create my own religion. Right? You can think of the various cults and the various religions that are out there today that have gone down this path. Woe to them, Jude 11 says. Cain's really the poster child of doing things their own way. So Cain is very angry. God comes to him, tells him these things. And he says, sin's waiting at the door for you. Cain thinks that by doing it his way, he will find freedom. Now we know this because this is really the error of mankind in general. God has given us free will. And next week, I'm really excited to talk about, we're going to see here, Cain eventually kills Abel. Why did God not stop that ahead of time? He's sovereign. So that's next week. But here, we have Cain just fully exercising his free will. And he's going to have it his way. And he thinks in that, that there's going to be freedom. And regardless of who you talk to, you can get that same ideology out of anyone who chooses to follow their own way and not submit their lives to Christ. They're going to have it their way. Here's what God says, essentially. Cain, you think that this is going to provide you with freedom. You think that you're going to be able to get away, but sin is going to master you. It is sitting at the door, and it wants you. And we see this, the entire book, or the entire chapter of Romans chapter 6, is all about this point. You are either a slave to sin... Or you are a slave to righteousness. And there are only two types of people in this world. Those that are a slave to sin. And those that are a slave to righteousness. There is no one else. And we miss this often. Because this is what we think. We think, ooh, slave to sin. We think of wicked people then. We don't really think that a slave to sin simply means that you are outside the bounds of God. You are outside the will of the Father. And you're living your life your own way. That is being a slave to sin. And since we think of that as, well, you know what, this, he's a pretty nice guy, not a slave to sin. Oh, if you are not in Christ, you are a slave to sin. There are only two people in this world. Jesus said it himself. He said, if you sin, you are a slave to sin. And then we have in Romans 33 that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we all fall in this category. It will master you. It will not give you that freedom. We see in, in Matthew 9 where Jesus is, he's standing there and he says, you know... He had compassion on the crowds and 
it's like they're a sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed and beaten down. Sin is their master. And it's interesting how he finishes that. Here's the solution. Sin is their master. And he says in Matthew 9, pray that God will send out harvesters into the field. They're harassed. They're like a sheep without a shepherd. They're being mastered by sin. And he says, right after the next sentence, the fields are ripe for harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send out workers into the field to what? To proclaim the way that we're going to be reconciled so that we're no longer slaves to sin and harassed by sin and mastered by sin, but reconciled back to God. Now, there's a practical piece to this that you should take with you. Every single one of us have pet sins that just sit at the door and want to master us. Every one of them. And and we're not going to talk about it this morning, but think through this. Every sin is related to us not believing God. Now, I know that sounds like a very grandiose statement, but if you take that apart, it'll, it'll all fit. And every one of us have it, have something. It wants to master us. All right, I'm going to wrap this up by just a quick a summary here of juxtapositioning these two guys. We have Cain. This is the gospel in a nutshell. If you're looking for what is the gospel, this is it right here. You start with Cain. Cain decided he was not going to submit to God. He was going to do it his way. He was going to bring zucchini. Whatever he did in his life, and we'll see this next week, also as Cain moves on, everything Cain does, he does it in the face of God saying, I'll do it my way. He does not submit to God. He's enslaved to sin. And because of that sin, there's judgment. He is not reconciled to God. He was not accepted by God, though God continually came back to him and said, Cain, you are not outside the bounds of grace. You have done nothing. Even after he murdered his brother, he came to him and said, where's your brother? Where is he? Giving him a chance to repent even then. God never told Cain that he was outside the bounds of grace, but Cain just decided no. And then came judgment. He was not reconciled to God. And so Cain spends eternity separated from God in hell, in eternal punishment. That's one side of the gospel. We can't shortchange that. Cain chose not to be reconciled with God and therefore he spends eternity separated from God in hell and eternal punishment. Abel believed God. His faith then He was accepted by God. It was commended to him as righteousness. That righteousness was not his own. It was a gift. God commended that righteousness to him. He was covered in Christ's righteousness. So there is no judgment. He's perfect. He is in right standing with God. That's the gospel. When he, by faith, believed God and believed the sacrifice, that believed what God told him to do 
to be atoned for, he was faithful, and that's righteousness. That right standing of God bypasses judgment, and he will spend eternity in bliss with Jesus Christ. That's the good news. Exactly what he was created for, he's going to get to be part of. There are only two people in this world. I think C.S. Lewis said this. There are two kind of people in the world. One that says, God, thy will be done. And the other people where God says, okay, thy will be done. See the difference? You're either going to have it God's way or you're going to have it your way. And the end of the story is very different. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for the lessons that you teach us about playing the game and bringing zucchini when you've told us how we're to come to you. And God, I would pray that this this message would, would bear fruit, God, that we would be able to take this home and And just grasp what your desire for us is. I just pray that you would make the gospel just so centric in each one of our lives that it produces change. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.